You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. The RBA seems still pretty set on keeping things as they are until what, 2024? But Westpac now says that rates will rise in 2023. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Well, hello everyone. I'm Michael Bennett, the editor of Wire. And for today's episode, we're talking all things economy. There's a lot going on. House prices are going through the roof. The unemployment rate is falling through the floor, but of course, the COVID problems aren't going away as we've seen this week in Sydney. So to make sense of it all at the halfway point of 2021 and talk through his latest big call, I'm joined by the one and only Bill Evans. How you going, Bill? Gee, what an introduction, Michael. I, I, uh, I don't think I'll be able to live up to this one. Oh, I don't know, Bill. This is hardly your first rodeo. You've obviously been chief economist at Westpac for a number of years, and you've made some big calls over that time that have proven correct. And you've just made another big call in the last week, forecasting the RBA to start hiking interest rates in 2023. That's about a year earlier than they've been flagging. So obviously it's made a few big headlines. So talk us through these new forecasts and why you think that's going to happen. Well, Michael, I think that the the RBA has been a bit blindsided by the strength of the recovery in the economy. So most people have been taking their advice uh, on face value, where back in February they said that they expected that the conditions necessary to raise interest rates would not be there until 2024 at the earliest. But what you have to remember is when they made that statement in February, they were expecting the unemployment rate to be 6.5% by June 2021. Um, and of course, we saw that spectacular employment report for May that printed 5.1%. So you'd have to look at that and go, well, if the RBA thought that the unemployment rate was going to be 5.1 in uh, in June 2021, back in February, they would not have said 2024 at the earliest. So I think that they're going to have to rethink their views. And we've certainly uh, brought forward our thinking as well, because we now expect that that was a genuine fall in the unemployment rate. It was sometimes you see these monthly numbers and they don't make a lot of sense. And you say, well, um, something will reverse next month. But we think that's genuinely consistent with things we're hearing from business surveys and and vacancy measures, job vacancy measures, a whole range of other factors. Uh, And our view on the growth in the economy hasn't changed. So we did expect that the unemployment rate would fall by 1% between June 21 and June 22. So if your starting point is 5.1, that means that by June 2022, it'll be the unemployment rate will be around 4%. Now, that's full employment. So I think it's highly unlikely that if you reach full employment in June 2022, you'll be waiting until 2024 or even later to raise interest rates. Mm, and on the specifics, you're talking an initial one, I think, early 2023, then a couple more? Uh, Yeah, Michael, look, I think we need to look back at what happened in 2020, the so-called emergency cuts associated with COVID, uh, when they cut by 50 basis points in March, and then we saw another 15 basis point cut in November. 
So a total of 65 basis points. So my view is that that 65 will be reversed during 2023, uh, with the, the first one being a small one in the in the in the March quarter of 15, uh, and then another couple of 25s in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter to get you to 75 basis points by the end of the year. And as you mentioned, a lot of this comes down to the labour market, and it it has just been amazing, hasn't it? And What's surprised also has been it feels like we've just sailed through the end of JobKeeper. I mean, there is still obviously some pain in certain sectors of the economy, but in aggregate, it's been pretty amazing. Well, we have certainly seen pain. The one that I find um, the most disturbing is the arts, because the arts um, are the ones that really needed JobKeeper. And when we looked at uh, in our consumer sentiment survey, the confidence levels within the industries straight after the elimination of JobKeeper, we saw the biggest fall in confidence around the arts industry. So arts and, of course, uh, food and accommodation and these other sectors have done it a, a little tougher than, than, than say, construction uh, and manufacturing that were also big users of JobKeeper, but, of course, they were able to cope with the, with the loss of JobKeeper much more smoothly than some of those other sectors. So there has been some pain. And, of course, the issue that, once again, uh, we're dealing with now is what happened to confidence uh, in Victoria with that uh, two-week lockdown. Uh, what's going to happen in New South Wales, given the disturbing signals we're seeing out of uh, New South Wales at the moment? So we know that the crisis isn't over. And when we think about the the worrying combination of uh, vaccine complacency, um, disappointments in the rate of the of the supplying of vaccines, the leaky hotel quarantine system, uh, and the intention of state governments to get zero transmission, that combination uh, is still with us. And until we get much more highly vaccinated, we're going to have to live with those issues. And the thing that could make our forecast incorrect is that these lockdowns become more and more frequent uh, and it really does puncture confidence because we, we did see consumer sentiment in over May and June fall by around 10%. I think the May one was more a disappointment relative to high expectations of the budget. But the June one, I think, was definitely related to the uh, Victorian shutdown. And at the time, I wrote that um, confidence in New South Wales was 15% above Victoria, 15% above South Australia, 12% above Queensland and 20% above Western Australia. And I thought that was mainly because of their success in dealing with COVID. Well, now we've seen the deterioration in New South Wales. So there's that lingering concern that consumer sentiment will really be badly affected by what we're seeing in these rolling lockdowns. But generally, when we look at the way the world's recovering and, and when we look at the, the high level of savings that Australian households still have, which gives them that capacity to lift their spending over and above their incomes, I think that's still gonna be the key driver that'll maintain that strong demand for jobs. Yeah, I was going to ask you about risks to the forecast and, and these, the virus uh, towards the end. But as, as you've just mentioned, um, overall, things are still looking pretty good. I mean, could you have imagined a year ago sitting here 
putting out a forecast on the cash rate like you have this soon? Oh no, of course no. No, no one was predicting that sort of. Uh, we we think we thought the government was a bit, a bit uh, over uh, over um, negative when they were talking about 10, 12 percent unemployment. We never got much above eight, but still we were at eight and we didn't get there. So no, I agree that the uh, the bounce back in the economy has been dramatic. You know, the very very strong fiscal policy. Uh, combined with the extraordinary boost from the uh, very low interest rates and quantitative easing. Um, no doubt that the everything's pulled together and we've seen this turnaround very, very quickly. And of course, our dramatic success in containing the virus, with the one exception, of course, being uh, vi- the long Victorian lockdown. And and just quickly, I'm interested, just on a bit of a light-hearted one, uh, long-time followers of, of yourself, would know you don't, you don't mind going out on a limb with with rate calls and you've you've done it a few times in your career. I remember back in I think it was 2011, you made quite a bold call at the time. 2019 from memory, do they get any easier? Oh, Michael, no, no, very tense, um, very because we know the market's closely watching us, and so we have to be really careful in 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 um, in communicating these things. So no, it's a highly stressful time and you, you can't be certain that you're going to be right. It's always a balance of probabilities that you have to deal with. Uh, and um, last week was no different. It was uh, a very, very difficult time. But we've seen a number of other commentators now following us in terms of bringing forward their views. So I'm feeling a little more comfortable that we are going to be right. The key thing will be how the Reserve Bank uh, deals with this issue. As I said, the call of 2024 at the latest, sorry, at the earliest back in February looked reasonable, but now it doesn't look reasonable, but they're still using that term. They used it uh, at the end of the uh, June board meeting uh, and in the in, in the board minutes. So the July board meeting, all eyes on whether they decide to jettison that 2024 at the earliest, because I think it's looking a little too 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 big a stretch now to say that we'll have to wait that long the other big factor michael that gave us some comfort is uh, that the us is clearly changing their approach as well so the us uh, chairman of the federal reserve clearly was a lot more optimistic about the labor market in the us a little more no- little more nervous about the fact that the rise in inflation over there is going to be temporary uh, and a number of other members were, have brought have brought forward the timing of their the beginning of the rate hikes over there. So it's always comfortable when you're calling the RBA uh, in line with what you think is going to happen with the US, because no central bank likes to get too far out of line with what the US is doing. And we and we are in the same boat. So while we're talking the first quarter of 2023 for the RBA. We're calling December 2022 for the U.S. Federal Reserve for the first move. Right. Okay. So if we get into the mechanics of it, as you as you flagged, the July board meeting, it's a big one. I think the governor's holding a press release afterwards. Um, sorry, a um, a media call or a, a call for the market to better understand what whatever they're going to announce. So, but how do they sort of back away from this? Like you say, they've been using this. 2024 at the earliest line for a while and a a lot of it's also tied into what they do with the uh, target for the 
three-year government bomb rate, isn't it? So yeah. how, how do they actually step away from where they are currently? Well, as, as you say, the first point will be uh, they've talked all year about whether they decide to extend the 0.1 interest rate target for uh, the bonds. Uh, and the decision that was being made in July is whether they extend that from the April 2024 bonds to the November 2024 bonds. We didn't think they were going to do that before we made this call, but they certainly won't do that now. So in a way, that's that's tightening policy because think about it, when they adopted the April 2024 bonds back in October last year, they were buying a three-year, six-month bond at 0.1%. Well, now they're still buying the April 2024s, but it's now a two-year, 10-month bond. So they're not buying as long a bond at ridiculously low rate of 0.1. Um, if they don't extend to November, it means that as we go through the rest of this year, so the maturity of the bond they're buying at 0.1 becomes shorter and shorter. So that's effectively tightening of monetary policy. So that'll be the first stage. The second thing we're looking for is what they do about quantitative easing. They've been buying bonds. They will have bought 100, 200 billion of bonds by the end of uh, end of August. We expect that they will announce an extension of that. Uh, but instead of saying we're going to buy another 100 billion, they'll say we'll buy 5 billion a, a week, which gives them so much more flexibility. They may end up buying a lot more than 100 billion, but it gives them that flexibility to adjust to developments in the economy a lot more quickly than if you're pre-committing to a whole hundred billion dollars of purchases. And that also is consistent with them starting to back off from the uh, from the longer term view of 2024 at the earliest because they're opting for more flexibility on their other policy, which is the, uh, the quantitative easing. Now, the press conference that will be held at four o'clock on the 6th of July will be referring to those two decisions. Uh, and I, I suspect that he'll be wanting to play down uh, anything about guidance of when they're actually going to be raising rates. Um, my view is that they will walk away from the 2024 at the earliest at that meeting, but we can't be certain of that. And assuming this is all this all pans out as you expect, and rates do start to rise in 2023, and what does it mean for the property market? A lot of Australians obviously are very interested in that. And is is it, I think you're still expecting quite a hot market for a little while now, but I, I guess rate rises will start to get a bit more coverage and in people's minds a bit more. So what does it mean for property? Uh, yes. Well, as, as I said to you, we're only talking about um, – uh, 0.65 of interest rate increases in 2023. Um, so, but for instance, the fixed mortgage rates have been very popular. They're now 30% of banks' banks mortgage portfolios and represent a lot higher proportion than that of, of new loans. Um, and I think that the fixed rates, of course, are linked with the three-year swap rate. So at the moment, after our call, the three-year swap rate jumped from 0.45 uh, to settle around 0.6, um, and I think that that's going to rise further to around 1.2 by the end of 2022 and 1.7 by the end of 2023. So a good 1% increase in those fixed rates, 
And so I think the psychology that interest rates are no longer falling, and they've fallen uh, since um, November 2010, they've been not falling. Uh, the fact that interest rates are now on the rise often unnerves people. The fact that the rises aren't, aren't going to be anything like what we've been used to in previous cycles should be of some comfort. But undoubtedly, the fact that rates have turned and people might get nervous that they might go a lot further than I'm expecting uh, may unnerve the, the, the housing market. So we think that this year is the really good year for the housing market and we have around 15% house price increases nationally, whereas next year we've only got about 5%. Uh, and in 2023, uh, we'd be looking for, at best, uh, prices to go sideways. Now, that's a pretty good result because in 2017-18, in when prices uh, started to reach their peaks, we saw a 15% fall in Sydney and a 12% fall in Melbourne house prices. That's what I would call a hard landing. I don't expect that to be the case this time, even though in that period we didn't have rate increases. All we had was... Uh, macro prudential controls, nervousness around the Labor, a potential Labor government changing tax rules, and of course the aftermath of the Royal Commission when uh, banks uh, restricted uh, their lending activities. So house prices can fall. Uh, we are going to see, I believe we will see the end of this big run in 2022. I'm expecting a fairly soft landing but it will have to negotiate the fact that interest rates are rising uh, in 2023. Does that soft landing suggest that you are one of these people who think inflation will be more transitory than structural? Because like you say, it will be a change for a lot of people. Rates haven't gone up since I think 2010, was it? But at 75 basis points, it's still a fairly low cash rate, isn't it? But that, that inflation issue, it's, it's really the biggest issue going around markets at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and the Reserve Bank has said we won't raise rates until inflation is sustainably between 2 and 3%. And that's been a long while since they've had, the, had it there. But I think if you have this long period, this extended period of full employment, that you're going to see inflation structurally higher than we've seen it in the past. Now, in the short run, uh, inflation is going to be a lot higher because of... Um, the sharp rise in some commodity prices with um, the supply chains being disrupted uh, with um, very, very significant labour shortages that are, push, that are pushing up wages in certain sectors. Some of those pressures will ease uh, as we go through 2022, but I think we'll still end up with higher inflation than we've seen. And inflation at a level that is enough for the Reserve Bank to say, well, finally, we've achieved our objective of full employment and inflation above 2%. Uh, so now we can start taking back some of these emergency uh, uh, conditions. But if they don't, if we don't get that inflation result, then they will, um, they'll hang on for longer with, uh, with uh, 0.1 on, uh, on the cash rate. So it is very important that we see that inflation story uh, lifting above 2%, which we expect by uh, the end of 2022. And just to finish off on on the risk, like you say, it, it seems like it very much is the virus and lockdowns and border controls. And we're seeing that at the moment with the way state governments are reacting to the Sydney outbreak, which is obviously concerning. I, I saw in a recent note of yours, you, you had a great line where you made the point that our success in 2020 might um, actually be our weakness in 2021. So 
you you are clearly of the view that the biggest risk to your numbers at the moment are, are the um, outbreaks we're seeing. Yes, yes, Michael. So I was really talking there about vaccine complacency. So why do I need to get vaccinated? Because I don't feel threatened. I think the these lockdowns, uh, particularly in Melbourne, uh, really led to a sharp increase in people wanting to get vaccinated. And unfortunately for the government, two things have happened. The first one is that they had an over-reliance upon AstraZeneca. Uh, they're now catching up and getting more supplies of Pfizer. And secondly, the, the, the health complications of AstraZeneca that have meant that people under 60 have to have to get Pfizer. So it's not only uh, a vaccine complacency, it's also a supply issue. And my view is that as we go into the rest of this year, the complacency issues will ease. Uh, and once the supply comes on track, uh, we'll be making a lot more progress in, um, in, in reaching that uh, herd immunity that we need to reach in order to reopen the borders and, and get the economy really moving. Well, let's hope so. All right, Bill. Well, look, as always, it's been great to chat and thanks a lot for your time. Good to chat, Michael. Thank you. Bye. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.